What's up, guys? It's Michelle with Diverse Canine. We have the whole team here today. Say hi, team. Hi. And we're going to answer um, some of the questions we got in our Q&A question box last night. So if you dropped a question, make sure you tune in and learn some cool new stuff. All right. So our first question is, best way to help a reactive dog build trust with people? In parentheses, it says um, the dog will not let new people pet her. So I'm going to let my team shoot their answers on this one because this is one that we actually see a lot. Anybody? Anybody? We had a uh, Bernese Mountain Dog come in that did not like other people. Oh, yes. Yeah. So what we did with him is we did a lot of um, confidence building with him. So like box work, taking him new places and experiencing those places. And then once he got comfortable, we would introduce safe people that we knew we could trust. And we only let him go up. We didn't make him go up. We didn't force him to go up to people. It was all on his own terms. And he's done really well with it. Yeah, that's definitely a good one. I think the key thing is not forcing your dog to be approached, but just making sure that people understand that there are rules and letting your dog approach them um, without the dog having to feel so much pressure. Yep. Advocate, advocate, advocate. And like Griffin said, confidence building. It's something I preach very, you know, very frequently. It is... Freya. <laughs> what I love to work on is confidence building. So to me, that is usually the core of any type of behavior issue. I think with reactivity too, especially if they're reactive to people, that's like the biggest sign possible of, hey, go away. I don't like you. Don't come near me. So having people approach the dog is probably just going to kind of exacerbate that reactivity towards people. Um, So the more you can get people to stay away from your dog and only interact with the dog, if you give them permission to do so with the dog approaching them first. I think that's the best way to make progress. I would definitely encourage you. I don't know who asked this question, but I would definitely encourage you to get a vest for your dog that says do not pet um, or in training, stuff like that. We use those a lot simply because most people aren't going to listen to it, but it does make them hesitate long enough that you have time to like say, hey, please don't pet my dog, we're training, versus most people will just walk up and immediately touch your dog. Anybody, anything else? Trust building, confidence building? Yeah, I mean, I think it's honestly, it's like at drop-offs. Like, Mm. we don't really even look at the dog, but also uh, we're not afraid of the dog. Yeah, I think that's a big thing, too. People are scared of your dog. It's just going to make it worse. Yeah, and, you know, if a dog lunges and barks, 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 and then people always, like, run away, the dog has just, like, reinforced itself for pretty much the entire time. Um, So things have to to change in the way um, your dog views people, I guess. Yeah, and back to something very basic, just structure boundaries Mm -hmm. a lot of times it's Mm -hmm. the dog is confused they don't know what to do they hit that fight or flight moment and they're like okay i'm gonna fight and then flight (laughs) (laughs) um so just sitting no these are the rules these are boundaries of both the dog yourself and other people in the environment everybody has boundaries yes for sure anything anything left on that um also i think we've done this some where the second a dog shows any type of, like, stress-relieving body language, that, you know, they can be removed. Um, and oh, tickle foot. Yeah, just kind of like, you know, if the dog disengages or, and, you know, we don't want to push dogs past their threshold, 
But also if they do need to get out of the situation, waiting for any type of like slight like sign that they are kind of like not backing off, but like they are starting to like disengage, come back under threshold, whether they shake or they start sniffing or something like that, then would be a good time, I think, to, you know, remove them from the situation. Sarah and I actually just had a conversation about I read something about a trainer who uses escape as a reward. So, like, for example, a dog that is fearful, um, they're not going to want to stand in one spot because that's obviously making the dog vulnerable. So, like, for example, when you're teaching place, obviously you're teaching this dog to be still in a small spot for a long period of time. And for a dog that's fearful, that's super, super stressful and frustrating. And so the way that they teach it is instead of using food as the reward, they might lure the dog onto the cot with food, but then they release them and they take a big lap around. Um, And it gives that dog that feeling of escape. So their confidence with the command is a lot better. And it's also a lot more rewarding to them than like the actual food. Um, And there are some good things to look for in a reactive dog. I a minute ago jokingly said tickle foot. Um, Brittany, if you're listening, this is for you, Bay. But I had a client that was asking me about a behavior where when her dog was standing and she she would just like pick one foot up, like one of her front feet. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's probably nothing. Like, it's probably not, you know, anything to think about. And I started thinking about it further and I realized that my Malinois does it literally all the time. Like my she's my husband's dog. So when my husband is having her run through some obedience for dinner, she always has that one foot up. And it's because she doesn't want to put that foot down and be stuck and like, I can't get to the food fast enough. So when you take away that high stimulation thing for her is food, but for a dog that's fearful, having that foot up is that like searching for an escape route. So when you see things like that in your dog, that's a really good, like small signal of your dog is uncomfortable and it's a good time to advocate for them and get them out of that situation. Anything else on that question? If you do feel like your dog is a bite risk, please go to a professional trainer. Muzzle train. <laughs> Muzzle train. There's a lot of things you can do to do a lot of preventative measures. Um, make sure you keep the general community and your dog safe. Yes. Maybe we should do an episode on muzzles. Yes. Okay, so the next question we got was, what is the hardest thing for you about dog training? And we all had to kind of sit here and, like, think about this because it's a hard question. Um, but... I think I'm going to go ahead and just spitfire mine first. Um, Mine is definitely like not being overly emotionally invested. Um, It's really, really easy for me to like let myself get too involved in different cases, especially the harder cases. And um, there's something called compassion fatigue. And if you've never heard of it, definitely look it up, especially if you work a job where you do have to work so closely and so vulnerably with people. Um, But compassion fatigue is something that I deal with a lot because I let myself get far too invested with um, different cases. And it's really important to me that I have the opportunity to build a relationship with every client and every dog, but sometimes that just goes too far and I spread myself thin. Um, just because I do get so emotionally invested in each dog's training and each journey, which I do think makes a huge difference in training. I think there's a lot more success with dogs when you do have a relationship with them, but I think there's balance in everything. And I think I probably overdo it a little bit. So that's probably the hardest thing I think for me. 
Uh, Angela? Mine is definitely learning to do nothing during training sessions and slow myself down, bring that patience in, which I have very little of. Um, <laughs> it's, it's tough to not want to go overboard and do too much, but um, free shaping is where that patience comes in, and that is something I'm still working on, but um, we're getting there. <laughs> Sarah? Um, I think mine would have to be learning how to build a bond with each different dog. I mean, they're all different and they all come in differently. Some come in loving you, some come in nervous, some come in, yeah, some come in (laughs) terrified of you. So it takes, it takes a lot to figure out what the dog likes, whether praise is the way to get them, win them over food. It's just a lot, but it's fun. But it, it's just a lot to learn each different dog. And we only have three weeks with them. So yeah. it seems like a long time. But yeah, it's not. It's not. <laughs> Griffin? So something that I was told when I was younger was um, end on a good note. And so sometimes I push my dogs, especially, um, a little too far past when they're done. So I want to end on a good note. I want to end on the best rep. I want to end on, you know, exactly what my vision of what I want them to do is. Um, And sometimes that means lowering my expectations a little bit. um, And sometimes that means just making it a little bit easier on them so they do finish strong. Um, But definitely knowing when my dog is done and when the training session is done, um, because short training sessions are the way to go rather than hour longs. End on your best rep. Yeah. Yeah. End like earlier than you like think you should, honestly. Yeah. Because we always were, we all like. Oh my god, that was so good. We can get so much further and do so time. much more. Yeah. One more time. A little bit further. A little yeah. bit further. A little bit more. A little yeah. bit harder. A little bit stronger. And then you should just end it. Yeah, it's like, like asking grandma for a cookie. Just one more. Yeah. Just one more. And then your tummy hurts. <laughs> I can't come out, guys. My tummy hurts. And here's Anne. Yeah. Um, for me, I if I don't go into a training session with a dog in whether it just be like a neutral state of mind or you know just I don't have to be calm I don't have to be serene because that's not that's not you know sustainable but you know if I don't go into a session with the dog in like a good mindset it uh probably won't go very well and that's not the dog's fault that's my fault um, and I also struggle with comparison, um, you know, just like being honest, like if I go out and train with other trainers that like aren't necessarily on my team, I get a little too in my head. I compare. I'm like, oh, or if I go do a lesson, you know, in my brain, I'm like, I hope I look I hope I know what I I hope I look like I know what I do, I'm doing because I do. I know what I'm doing. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't. Michelle wouldn't have hired me if I didn't. Um but, you know, I'll get too wrapped up in my brain and then that affects my training and confidence and then, you know, everything travels through the leash. Um, but, yeah, mainly I got to – because if I wake up and I'm not in a good mood and I don't have coffee and, you know, the – you know, I can't find my favorite socks, stuff like that, I uh, have to take a moment before I – go get dogs out because it's you know it it affects them and affects their uh training journey if I'm not if I'm not completely set yeah I'm like that too I think abroad um kind of like every good dog trainer can agree on this one 
probably a really hard part of dog training for all of us is struggling with that imposter syndrome. Like, I know that I know what I'm doing, but somehow I don't know what I'm doing. And it's really, really, really hard on your confidence to live with that. And for me, as a business owner, it doesn't really come out as much in my actual training. I'm generally fairly confident in the dog training itself. It's the business side of things. I'm like, oh, you know, I just got lucky. This just, everything just fell into place. Just good timing. I just got really, really lucky. And anytime I've ever said that to anybody, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, you've worked really, really hard. So that imposter syndrome will really mess you up because it makes you feel like, you didn't earn what you have or what you're doing. It just, just kind of happened. So I definitely think that imposter syndrome is a really, really big thing that most dog trainers struggle with for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next question, more of a statement. Um, just talking about the stigma behind German Shepherds as service dogs, specifically as psych dogs. Um, and so three out of five trainers on our team have German Shepherd service dogs and all three of them are primarily psych dogs. So this is definitely a fun one for us to get to chat on, but, um, I'm going to have Griffin and Ann give their opinion too, because I think it's important to see it from all sides. Um, so if you aren't aware of what this question means about the stigma behind German Shepherds with service dogs, there is a list of the fab four breeds The top three are Labrador Retrievers, Golden Retrievers, Standard Poodles, and then the fourth one, sometimes it's Collies, but apparently it's a little bit interchangeable. In my experience, it's always been Collies. Um, And so basically what the Fab Four means is that those four breeds have the lowest washout rate. Um, Those four breeds are the most successful as service dogs, um, and you see a lot more of those dogs working and working well and working for longer than things like a German Shepherd who would be considered an off-breed. They're definitely up there. There are a ton, a ton, a ton of German Shepherd service dogs, but they do have um, a higher washout rate than um, something like a Lab or a Golden would have. Mm -hmm. So basically the stigma is just that German Shepherds are too sensitive for psych work, um, which is very, very common. It's, I mean, many dogs are too sensitive for psych work in a lot of cases, but, um, the biggest thing is that they just feel their handler's emotions so intensely that, um, it affects their ability to do their job. And I, I think it's hard because like, for example, if you bought a poorly bred golden retriever, the odds of them turning out okay are a whole lot higher than a poorly bred German Shepherd. I was just going to say, a lot of these stigmas are coming from all these people who are getting backyard bred German Shepherds, improperly bred German Shepherds, um, that really shouldn't be in existence, but um, should not be working. <laughs> um, shouldn't be working, especially as a service dog that, I mean, there is a grain of truth too. They are very sensitive to the handler's emotions. It takes a stronger, more well-balanced handler to have a German Shepherd for me personally. You know, my dog Freya, she is not my first German Shepherd, but she is my first service dog and she is my first German Shepherd service dog. For me, it works because I need a dog that challenges me to keep me mentally focused on her, not on the world around me, not on the people around me where my social anxiety will get the best of me. (laughs) Um, It helps me have a purpose. It helps me focus. It helps me focus more on getting my emotions in control so that we can work better as a team. That is not the case for everybody. People, you know, 
it I don't know what I'm trying to say there, but yeah, yeah. Well, I think it, it comes down to like handler, the it handler, is. because you could get like a, a horribly, horribly bred golden retriever, and a first time handler, there's a there's a pretty high success rate with that mm-hmm. still, but a brand new handler getting a poorly bred German Shepherd, that's fucking scary. I think that's is, scary. There absolutely is a very good reason why the Fab Four are the Fab Four. Yeah, like there's a reason for that. Um, but I also think that people who have showed that they can successfully have a German Shepherd as a service dog should not be bashed for that. Um, I think it all just comes down to, like you said, the handler. It needs to be how, you know, where did the dog come from? How are it, how is it genetically? Like, what is its temperament? All comes down to breeding and the handler themselves. I agree. I think the stigma has been blown out of proportion by the service dog community because, um, The community speaks as if their dog is a perfect service dog who's never had an issue in its entire life and they expect the same from you and pretty much everything in the community is really unrealistic. Obviously, the Fab Four is a different situation, but that's not necessarily the service dog community. That's a very Mm well-known across all the service dog board all over the U.S. and honestly all over the world, I think. Um, But the community tends to be very, very gatekeepy and I think part of why German Shepherds have been kind of pinned as this breed that shouldn't ever be a psych dog is because of the gatekeeping. Um, and gatekeeping obviously can definitely become an issue. I do think it's important to warn people um, because I don't think that a 17-year-old who's never had a dog before should get a German Shepherd as a service dog. But I also think that if a 17-year-old got a Golden Retriever or a Labrador for a service dog, it'd still be hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the odds of that dog having, like, true behavioral issues would just be much lower than a German Shepherd. Mm-hmm. Sarah? I agree. Um, this is a hard one. Yeah. I have a backyard bred <laughs> German Shepherd service dog. And he's great. He really is. But he um, obviously won't be able to do it forever. And he's already seven. And he is sensitive um, his favorite thing to do in the world is wine, and it makes Sorry. me absolutely fucking insane. I cannot stand it. <laughs> and, like, he's not like that in public. Like, in PA, he's perfect. But if I'm having a bad day, it really does feed into him. Whereas my current service dog puppy came from Good Brainy. Granted, I did get her for free, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> um, that's not what matters. She, yeah. <laughs> and she's not like that. Like, no matter how I'm feeling, she's there and she does what she needs to do. But she's not having a mental breakdown because I'm having a mental <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> Whereas Turbo is, if I'm crying, he's laying in my lap crying with me. <laughs> and, and like, <laughs> I'm, I'm not crying at you. I'm crying, crying with, with you. you. Yeah. And Turbo. I just, I love Turbo. He's a great dog and he's been great for me but I think that there's there's a lot to the breeding and good breeding really helps aka pyro (laughs) there are dogs that get gear fear and then there is turbo who gets gear zoomies and Sarah pulls out his vest and he quite literally gets the zoomies every single time so it's not to say that every poorly bred German shepherd is going to fail out of being a service dog but most of them definitely will um there's this general thing in the service dog community of need before breed um which as a person with a labrador retriever service dog i get it they're you know they're exceptional but um i think if you're willing to accept that your dog might wash 
by all means, get a German Shepherd if you're knowledgeable and you know what you're doing. By all means, get literally whatever dog you want. But do realize there is a washout rate in Goldens and Labs. And by choosing an off-breed, you are risking that a little bit more. And as long as you have a plan, if they wash out, whether you're keeping them, rehoming them, literally whatever you need to do, just have that contingency plan. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think, well, one, I think with our team, it's great because there is, there's, it's truly both sides. Literally. Like there is both sides. And I know one, (laughs) you know, we all favor one compared to the other. And, like, if you talk to Griffin and I, you'll probably get a different answer than if you talk to, you know, Michelle, Sarah, and Angela, which isn't a bad thing. Um, I think, obviously, diverse canine. Diversity. And, yeah. Um, I think the the argument that I I have, like, the opposing argument that I have, and, again, German Shepherds aren't my breed. Shepherds, in general, aren't my breed. Um but I have seen the side of things of, you know, if someone were to have, they faint often or they collapse one. and, you know, your dog is trained to do DPT or, you know, go under your head, what you will. Um, I do think genetics could play a role in that as if, if you were to approach, you know, a golden retriever doing DPT, you know, someone comes around the corner a dog is laying across you, yeah. your dog is laying across you, and, you know, there's... Protective instinct is going to do its thing. I do think that that, that plays a, a point, role. because both of my shepherds could give a fuck about another human. Yeah. yeah. Like, they, they could not care less. Yeah. Another dog, they don't care. They're yeah, so I think it's... so my asshole. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think that's a really good point, especially yeah. with an inexperienced handler. You know, yes. if the dog, like, let's say the dog is medical alert and psych, mm-hmm. and you have, you know... You pass out, you have a seizure, whatever it is, and your dog's doing its job, and then an EMT and a firefighter, firefighters are first responders, Mm -hmm. they run up to you in that big suit, and your German Shepherd, whose genetics say, do protect, it might not end well. So I I agree, like, Mm -hmm. that was a really good point. It's something to think about if you do have, like, I personally, I don't pass out, I don't have seizures, so it is a little bit more plausible for me, because the odds of that happening are so much lower yep. but somebody who like mm-hmm. that's a big part of their life is passing out maybe not maybe not a german shepherd or at <laughs> yeah. least not a poorly bred one yeah i think also what you if someone wants to do stuff outside of uh them ha- being a service dog that also plays a role mm-hmm. you know because i see much more like working line german shepherds being service dogs mm-hmm. as to like you know an american show line or something but i also you know there's a lot of like you know confirmation goldens and labs mm-hmm. that do it and so if you want to do like igp or you want to do stuff like that psa and you want a service dog and you know what you're doing that's probably a better fit and the dog has the temperament yeah and Free if you fulfillment yeah if yes. you'd rather do yes. you know like obedience rally hunt stuff swimming stuff more chance of a labrador or golden right kind of thing and then also poodles um, mm, I love poodles. poodles, but we're not talking about them. So <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk about them. Yeah, it's it, you know it's just kind of like also your like extracurriculars, and but also don't get a German Shepherd if you're like oh I'm gonna do IGP and you're not actually gonna do it. You know all my friends have German Shepherds and they do stuff with them, mm-hmm. but there's lots of people who are like oh this will be my motivation to do it. I don't think you should do that. 
So. Um, and just to add to that, make sure if you're getting a German Shepherd for service work, make sure you actually vet your breeder or vet who you get that dog from because yeah. there are so many breeders out there who are going to sell you a German Shepherd for $1,500, $1,800, $2,000 and tell you it's a working line German Shepherd and then they have no pedigree or lines to show for. So make sure that if you are getting a German Shepherd, you actually can see the background of that dog. It's super, super important for any breed, but especially a shepherd. Yeah. Just in general. If yeah. your breeder really could throw and has thrown service dogs out, why not? Do I smell a podcast episode on breeding? Yes. Yeah. I yes, I do. Is it going to be like six hours long? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. Just in general, just like was said, need before breed. Take the whole situation. Why do you need this dog? What is its go- job going to be? Breed fulfillment. There's a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah. And reach out to people. Yes. Like, don't just yes. impulse. Yeah. Don't impulse <laughs> like, get a dog. Everyone here, all of us, we literally all have service dogs. We literally will answer questions. Yep. Any questions. But, like, I've seen people just run out and buy a dog was like this is gonna be a great service dog and then and it bites not. somebody yeah <laughs> and then it's not <laughs> account for it to not work out yeah. like griffin said have a backup plan are you gonna rehome this dog if it washes are you willing to put up the three to six months in finding out if the dog will work for yeah. you like it's time commitment it's work it's money it's so expensive and then even it is if it's not us like other trainers will help you mm-hmm. like find a dog that fits your needs like temperament test yes temperament test yeah. always definitely yes yes it's just it's fun seeing ivy and seeing ruby yeah it's yeah that's a great if you worlds. if you guys follow us and you you know know like the dogs that we have in ivy is a service dog that we just placed a couple months ago and ruby is a service dog that griffin and ann are raising and training and they are both phenomenal working dogs ivy is a working line german shepherd and ruby is from quite literally as good as it gets of golden retriever breeding and they're both phenomenal but also like there are German Shepherds who people are trying really, really hard to make it work, and it's just not working. And there's that with Goldens, too. It's and just okay. That, yeah. Well, it's not okay to, like, force them to work if they're not doing. But it's okay to wash your service dog, even though right. some people may have some comments on the back end. <laughs> just, just keep in mind, I washed slash retired my two-year-old service dog because he didn't feel like doing it. So <laughs> He didn't like it. Washing your service dog isn't something to feel like shit for. It's a responsible choice, and yeah. it's not fun. It hurts, but... And understand that things may come up that you weren't expecting, Edgar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I yeah. had to yeah. hire him. He was working for, what, four months solidly working, and then found out he has severe hip dysplasia mm-hmm. in both hips. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to retire him. Yeah. Hence why I have Freya now. Mm-hmm. So stuff like that may happen where you are not planning on it, and... You have to make the right decision for the dog. Yeah. And you did the responsible thing. Yeah. So I think... It's an anomaly. <laughs> Nobody yeah. just gets a... No, that not, doesn't happen. Yeah. Turbo. Turbo. Yeah. 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 Turbo true. came from Craigslist for 500 doll hairs, y'all. Yep. No <laughs> paper is nothing. Um, <laughs> he is literally the best animal on the yeah. earth. Virgil, Virgil came from Craigslist for 700. Yeah. 
He's a gym. He's a true gym. My beautiful Frenchie. Never. Never. Just don't do it. Just don't. Oh, yeah. Just don't do it. I'm not talking about Frenchie. I'm talking about Craigslist. Oh, yeah. Stay off of Craigslist. All right. Get on it. So I think we could probably very easily sit around all day (laughs) and talk about German Shepherds and dogs for service work. So I'm going to go ahead and turn this question off and we're going to get to the next one. Okay, so the next one is more of a statement again, body language during play, the good and the bad. So this is one that, again, could have an entire podcast just on it. Um, There is so much that goes into healthy play. Um, And I think if you've ever been to a dog park, you can pretty much mark that under the unhealthy play category. Um. Generally, any type of large group play like that, the dogs are just experiencing such a high level of stress that it's very hard for them to communicate appropriately. Um, So something that I look for in play is um, disengagement. So if I have a play group going on and there's like lots of chasing, lots of wrestling, the dogs aren't making an effort to disengage from each other at all. I will typically try to step in at that point and work on teaching the dogs that they should be disengaging from play because dogs stack, um, they trigger stack and, you know, something might piss them off a couple times and they let it go and they keep playing, but then they're in this really, really high stimuli environment and their thresholds are just getting blown out of the water and then a fight breaks out and you could have a dog that's not dog aggressive in Anyway, you could have a dog that's not even dog reactive and your dog could become those things because of really unhealthy play. Mm -hmm. Um, So a great example um, is if dogs take a break to drink water during play, it's not typically because they're thirsty. It's typically a they're just looking for a way to take a break um, from a situation. So I call it a smoke break. Um, if dogs are playing and then you see them kind of disengage, shake it off and they go drink some water, they're just taking a quick smoke break. It's not that they don't want to keep playing. They do want to play, but they just need that time to decompress for a second, um, and just get some space from the situation. So I, I very much verbally reward that and encourage that. Now it's one thing if it's like 90 degrees outside (laughs) and your dog's drinking a bunch of water, obviously that's different. But as a general rule, I do think that um, the stopping play to get water is a really good example of dogs healthily disengaging from one another. And mm-hmm. I always make a point to be like, good job. And there's a very fine line of allowing dogs to figure it out themselves compared to when you should step in. I allow my dogs to communicate. Like they have to learn. It was something I struggled with for a really, really long time was knowing, oh, they're growling or, oh, they're snarling. I need to yep. break this up right now because it scared me. And that's, mm-hmm. I feel like that's very typical of a lot of clients is, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. They're communicating. Just like we get frustrated, um, they get frustrated too. They'll communicate that, hackles, snarls, growls, whatever. Um, even when you see them do that shake off, that's them decompressing they're shaking all that stress off and then they might go back to it or they'll walk away and disengage from each other that's great that's perfect Um, I allow dogs to do a correction and if it keeps going like if a dog continues to instigate one dog that's when you need to advocate you need to step in for both dogs you need to 
remove the dog that's instigating and pestering the other one and advocate for that dog and say, hey, I got your back. It's fine. You did your job. They're not listening. I got you. I'll help you. I think a really good thing to look out for is the volume. Um, If dogs are super, super vocal, barking, growling, making all these sounds as humans, that strikes the oh shit emotion in us and we automatically are concerned. Um, But if you've ever seen a true, like really, really bad, like I'm literally going to kill you dog fight, there is no sound. It's very quiet. Um, That sound that volume is really important to pay attention to because often it's either just play or it's the dog just trying to scare the other dog with, Mm -hmm. you know, the theatrics. They got to turn on the theatrics and be all (laughs) scary and loud and big. Um, So if you hear all this crazy volume, it's probably not a real fight and it's not something Mm -hmm. to like panic over. But if you see a fight break out and you're not hearing anything, that's a break it up immediately situation it it depends on the dog like we all know my dog edgar when he plays he is loud (laughs) he screams he screams he growls really loud like he's a very vocal dog when he plays that's just (laughs) ellis snorts his poor little brain gets excited and he has to let it out you know verbally vocally yeah that's funny as someone who used to work at a doggy daycare. Yep. Um, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. So we, I mean, they didn't do it right because they're, they're not trainers, but they, they split dogs up on play style. So we had, you know, puppies in one. We had really rambunctious uh, young dogs. We had old dogs. And then we had small dogs. Um, and you just, not every dog likes every dog and that's a-okay your dog does not have to have dog friends it's cool if they do like don't get me wrong but your dog does not have to have dog friends and i think that's something that people push really really hard um know your dog if they don't like other dogs please don't make them play with another dog it's literally not worth it um but there's dog social there's dog selective there's dog tolerant and there's dog aggressive so like know where your dog falls on the scale and let them play with appropriate dogs i wouldn't put you know, a dog, selective dog, and with an overly social dog because I'm just going to push their buttons and that's really not fair to them. Yeah. It's also knowing the dogs. So if the dogs know each other, like my two dogs, my two household dogs, um, they're allowed to play rougher because they know each other. They're very good at disengaging with each other. Whereas if you have two dogs that kind of know each other or don't know each other, that's completely different. You do Mm -hmm. not want them to trigger stack. You don't want them to um build up build up and push each other's buttons so it's definitely different with household dogs compared to friend or stranger dogs Mm -hmm. i can like picture it in my head i just like can't (laughs) tell you what i'm thinking yeah yeah like i can picture all of the different what sophie and the bear oh yeah like different play styles like sophie and ellis will chase run 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 chase run 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 and then ellis tucks his shoulder (laughs) (laughs) and then they play on top of me for a top of each other for a while which that itself is very interesting because now that's how ruby plays Mm. because they taught her how to play yeah um i think something that i learned was and it's kind of funny but like a lot of owners want their dogs to have friends more than their dog actually wants to have friends Mm -hmm. so i mean there are dogs that like have come through and i'm like don't if yeah and then there there's also a lot of client dogs that like if they want to go to, like, 
the brewery and let the dogs play with other people, it doesn't really affect. Dog dogs and people dogs. Yeah. And then there are some dogs that, like, they're so stressed, but they, like, don't think that they're stressed. And then there are dogs that, if you take them to the dog bar, they'll probably try to eat another dog. <laughs> um, so maybe don't do that. But I think having, like, like, all of our dogs get along. Yeah, and yeah. so they can go out with each other, and that's cool. Mm-hmm. I don't let my dogs play with dogs that I don't know. Yeah. Um, partly not because they're mean. It's just my own anxieties. And, like, in my house, Turbo is Turbo, and he doesn't really want to play with the dogs. So mm-hmm. he plays with me. And Fuego will play with literally anything that moves. <laughs> Cinder block. <laughs> yeah, and Ripper and Pyro, they have, like... They play so well together, and but I can't just take Ripper out and let him play with everybody else's dogs because he's, like, hella intense mm-hmm. and super large. Virgil. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. he plays with Pyro, and that's it. And, like, I'm okay with that, and he's okay with that. He loves mm-hmm. Pyro. And there's other ways to fulfill your dog than letting them play with other dogs, and I think that people really think yep. that they think their dog is deprived yeah yes. and that's, that's not the case say. at all like turbo could care less about playing with another dog like <laughs> he would rather die <laughs> and he's not mean he just doesn't he's just not like into that shit and mm-hmm. so like he would much rather us like go take a walk together or throw a ball or <laughs> Stare at cry mom. together like that's, what, <laughs> <laughs> that's how he gets like that's what makes him happy whereas ripper and pyro if i let one of them out and not the other they're screaming because they love each other so much and want to play mm-hmm. but I think it's also important to, like, like you said, like, Ripper's balls to the walls. Oh, God. Like, he doesn't self-handicap, so you're not going to put him with an eight-week-old puppy. You're not going to put him with this, like, old 20-year-old chihuahua. Yeah. Like, you're not going to, you're not going to put him in a situation where he's going to play so rough yeah. and a dog's actually going to get hurt. Even at eight weeks old, he was tearing Fuego up. Yeah, and then I think there's also a thing of, like, turn-taking. Like, we were talking yes. about, like, our retrievers. Like, I have a lab and she has a golden and they take turns. So Sophie's on her back and then she hops up and they chase each other and then Ellis is on his back and then they do bitey face and then Sophie tries to grab Ellis's elbows and then they take another lap around the house and so it's turn taking it's not one dog you know pounding another dog pounding another dog pounding another dog unless you're Edgar Edgar likes to be chased and then rolled on his back he doesn't understand proper play so there are different play styles and I think it took I didn't know this for a long time play is learned play styles are learned I mean, obviously, breeds and genetics plays into that, but Edgar learned how to play from his now deceased um, German Shepherd sister. Like, Bitch. She was awful. <laughs> she didn't know how to play. She didn't know how to take turns, but he loved it, and that's how he learned how to play. So now he's just like, okay, all the dogs chase me. I will roll on my back, and you can beat me up, and that <laughs> is fun to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a really good thing to... Like, plan ahead when you're getting a dog, you're getting a puppy. Like, think ahead. Okay, who is going to be the play teacher of this dog? That's some regret I have with Virgil is, literally, Virgil grew up in the dog park. And if I took him to the dog park right now, it quite literally would be the best day of his life. Like, I think all Virgil wants to do in life is play with other dogs. He thinks corrections are play. Yeah, dogs bite. Dogs bite. This isn't even an exaggeration. Like, if I have a dog aggressive dog in... I can pretty much always trust that Virgil's going to be the first dog that they're going to get along with because what happens with dog aggressive dogs, they snap, snarl, growl, bite, whatever, and the other dog backs off and that's communication and it's reinforced. Virgil 
doesn't let it be reinforced. So the dog growls, snaps, snarls, barks, whatever, bites, and Virgil play vowels. He's like, oh, hell yeah, we're playing. This is great. And then the dog's like, wait, what the hell? It didn't work. And it's not reinforced. So now, granted, that's not the typical (laughs) behavior of any dog. But Virgil was literally raised in the dog park. And when when I first got Virgil, my business was very much going to people's houses. And so Virgil spent a lot of time playing with other people's dogs and being a demo dog. And, you know, he he likes dogs a whole lot more than people. But... Then there's Kazi, who was literally raised in a house with 20 dogs and spent most of her time around other dogs. And now she doesn't really seek out being around dogs. She likes them. She'll play with them. But she would much rather be with me. So definitely plan ahead. Who's going to be the teacher of your your dog with play? Because if they learn bad play, it's really hard to undo that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Mm-hmm. Passies. Can we talk about passies? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so Justine's whole pack. <laughs> so as we, you may know, I have three shepherds, Turbo, Ripper, and Pyro. Um, Ripper's a year and he's my IGP prospect and Pyro is almost 10 months and she's my service dog in training. So in order to make them, not make them, but in order to, for them to not be like complete psychos in the yard I have to put a ball in each one of their mouths before they go outside if they do not have their passy in their mouth they're literally like full-on hurting each other like their yep. cattle <laughs> and it's crazy how that works and I don't know why it works yep. like but collies. yeah like, like they have to have a ball in their mouth there are a ton of dogs that truly do need a pacifier like I can remember this was many moons ago. Sarah was at my house with Turbo, and I, I don't even know who, who had what dogs at this point. But Turbo was just, like, anxious and pacing and uncomfortable, and I don't even know if Sarah, like, heard, knew any of us heard this. But she looked at Turbo, and she said, we're going to go inside, I'm going to get your Kong, and I'm going to put it in your mouth, and everything's going to be okay. <laughs> and I'll literally never forget that, because I was like, fucking German Shepherds and their yeah. pacifiers, yeah. man. Like He'll straight up carry a toy everywhere he goes. If I oh, yeah. Turbo chases the four-wheeler with a toy in his mouth. If you ever see us doing PA in, like, a public place, obviously, because that's what PA is, ignore that. But if he has, like, a toy in his mouth, do not at me. (laughs) (laughs) Some dogs dogs work for treats. Turbo works for carrying toys. He's not hurting anything. (laughs) It it boosts morale. Yeah. (laughs) And it's cute. I mean, come on. He's an... He's for the people. <laughs> he doesn't want to see a German Shepherd in service gear walking through Harris Cedar with a freaking bunny in his mouth. Like a stuffed bunny. Like, I do. Kong alligator. Yeah. Literally. Like, I want to see that. If you're ever wondering what it's like when all of us get together, this. This is what it's like. This is, like, the way more, like, structured, efficient version. Yeah. But yeah. we have a really great question that we're going to intentionally end on. So I'm going to go ahead and end this question now so we can get to that a little faster. All right, so the next question is a super fun one. Um, it says, what's your opinion on Shih Tzus? So I think people probably assumed that we weren't going to be Shih Tzu people because we all have large breed dogs, but we actually all <laughs> love them. Um, and we all actually quite love small dogs in general. Um, so I'm going to pass the phone around and let everybody kind of give their own individual opinions. I'm, I'm not going to talk long because I feel as if Sarah's going to like nail this one. <laughs> Um, but I, so honestly, one of the dogs that I grew up with, they're my, they live right behind me. They're an older couple. 
Um, and they've always had shih tzus. Shih tzus. And um, they had one. They got her when our dog, he was a pug. Um, when he <laughs> was like, pugs. yeah, love pugs, man. <laughs> you know what else is made in a lab? Pugs. 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 <laughs> <Neuro> reference. <laughs> um, but toy breeds in general, I think they get like crapped on a, a lot. They're a toy breed, yeah. right? Yeah. Shih tzus are toy. Yeah. I think a lot of them do get crapped on and I'm just going to say they get shit on. Shit. And, and I, I, I do get it because like there are, there are lots of chihuahuas that give a bad name. There's lots of shit, but you know, any poorly socialized genetic disaster of a dog has a chance to be just bad. Oh, yeah. Um, but Abby was like, she's seriously, and she's, she's still alive. Yeah, we call her Loaf. She's an old girl, but she just Why? such a good dog. The you know, uh, they were older. I guess they were maybe like sixty something when they got her. She just does well with like a couple walks a day, like unproblematic. Yeah, and they, she likes sitting on the couch with you. She was never even slightly aggressive. She enjoyed other enjoyed other dogs. She was so good with kids, like. She was seriously one of the first dogs that I was around the most and, like, loved the most. Um, my grandma loved her so much that my grandma got a Shih Tzu, and he also was seriously the best. He was a rehome. I think that's literally he like was, their purpose, was to be unproblematic. Yeah, yeah, seriously. And I think, you know, if you can keep them well-groomed, they're so cute. They're so and cute. I think a lot of people have, they give unrealistic, exp- or they give unrealistic Maybe expectations isn't the word I'm looking for of what kind of dog they need. We yeah. talked about need before breed. Yeah. And I think there's... Not just in service dogs. Yes. And I think there's a lot of families. There's a young... A lot of just people with different lifestyles in general that would just really benefit from a sweet little toy breed. Mm-hmm. And I do think a cool little Shih Tzu is a great little house dog. And you can go on walks. You can go to the park yep. as with any dog. Go for a drive. Yeah, do training, that kind of stuff. Show, oh, that's socialize. Oh, they're little dogs. Yeah. They, they definitely get a bad rap because they are so ill-behaved because people they're 9 pounds and people can control them so easily mm-hmm. that they don't train them. Yeah. But they're yeah. not actually bad dogs. No. I don't care if they jump. I don't care if they lick my face because if they're like but in general they're sweet. They can be affectionate. If they a lot of them are just not aggressive they're really good for older couples too Mm -hmm. and like even if you live in an apartment like they're really good apartment dogs yeah so i'm not a toy breed hater at all i love toy breeds so did you want to say i was just gonna go off what ann's uh said about these 80 year old folks need to stop getting shepherds and just get shih tzus um unfortunately collies something Aussies, yeah you know like you ju- you don't need to prove yourself by getting this high energy dog when it's not your lifestyle a shih tzu really might be perfect for you so um as many know i groomed for over 10 years before i started training and most of my clients were german shepherds malinois but i had a lot of shih tzus and i love them they're great dogs um the breeder is going to be your best friend, though. Um, I've seen a lot of Shih Tzus with a lot, a lot, a lot of health issues, a.k.a. my dad's Shih Tzu, Coco, who is not actually a Shih Tzu. They paid a lot of money for this dog, and he's a Lhasa, and he's absolutely, absolutely evil. The, <laughs> the most evil animal in this world. That dog has bit me more times than any other dog I've ever groomed in my life, and it was awful. It's terrible. Yeah, it's so bad. So... 
they're great dogs. My f- absolute favorite dog that I ever groomed, his name was Charlie Daniel Dillard. And hopefully I don't get like sued for mentioning their last name, but it's fine. Um, he was the most precious and he was wild. Like he had a ton of energy and he was owned by a super old couple and they did everything they could to outlet his energy and they did a great job. Um, but he was from a good breeder, didn't have any health issues, didn't like, it was just, I don't know. They just did a good job. So the breeding is definitely the main concern when it comes to Shih Tzus. I love them. I think they're great dogs. Would I own one? Probably not because I don't really like to groom anymore. And that, Mm. and grooming's a thing too. Like people get these dogs and they're like, they need to be groomed, but once a year. And that's (laughs) (laughs) absolutely false. They, I mean, it's expensive. It's not cheap. And you pay, you get what you pay for when it comes to grooming. That's true. But then also breeders. For sure. Will, you go to the right breeder, like you were saying. Yeah. They'll desensitize the puppies to grooming. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, Charlie time. came out of the womb. I started grooming him at eight weeks, and up until I quit grooming, literally. They followed me everywhere I went. Um, I dog sat him, and he literally, at eight weeks old, sitting on my table, was falling asleep with me scissoring his face. And that's, like, unheard of for mm. a puppy. And that's all breeder. And it was, it just... Do your research. Yeah, for real. I think another thing, too, a good thing is um, some people don't want to get a dog and put so much work into it for it to live to be eight or nine. And Shih Tzus have a really, really great long lifespan. They really do. They don't die. (laughs) So if you want a dog that, like, might break the Guinness World Record of age, Shih Tzu is definitely That might be the way to go. Yeah. Uh, Freaking Chihuahuas. Close second on that one. Yep. They have good, uh, a lot of. A lot of them get rehomed. I've seen a lot of Angela's Ark. Isn't mm-hmm. her Fetty? Something, something like that, yeah. Yeah, and she seems like a really sweet little dog. Like, I mean, you know, any rescue, there's potential for... Or any dog should be trained. And, I, I, you know, any adoption kind of thing. Like, yes, there's a chance that they might need a little more work. But also, it just might be right for you. Yeah. yeah. Just more so than, you know... Getting like a Aussie, yeah, no, yeah, stuff like that. But like, back to the training too. Um, Shih Tzus, they're they're good dogs, but at the same time, like they can literally be evil. Like, <laughs> do you get a German Shepherd and it's people aggressive because you didn't socialize it and didn't train it? That's the same Shit, way yeah. with Shih Tzus. Back to my dad's dog, like he's evil, y'all. I don't think you understand, <laughs> but, he, but he's not a Shih Tzu. Well, yeah. <laughs> Supposedly is. They pay for it, too. They didn't get it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it. I think they are great little dogs. My grandma has had them my whole life growing up. She's had chihuahuas and shih tzus. Um, didn't so much like the chihuahua. She's, she's a little evil. Um, but, yeah, I, I, th- I think shih tzus are great little family dogs as long as you, like everyone else has said, Breeding, genetics, and training. I think we should get a team Shih Tzu and do your agility with it. <laughs> we can dye it orange. Oh my god, please. Somebody just, bring me their dog to die. Just a die. fun uh, little addition to this, Blue. I felt that I should say, since we mentioned Chihuahuas a few times. Um, I used to have a client, and it was a Chihuahua who was very, very, very mean. Um, and he regularly tried to bite me, but his mouth didn't open wide enough yep. to actually get his teeth on me. Oh my god, it's like so, a granddaddy long leg. <laughs> <laughs> They're like Poisonous, yeah, right? Yeah. But their mouths are too small. <laughs> <laughs> really kill you. Yeah, they can really kill you. 
So, moral of the story, Shih Tzus are really, really cool dogs. People just don't give them any credit. Okay, so the last question was how you decided to expand the team. So, when I started my business, I was very... um, very much a one-man show for a long time and I had several people that interned um but I'm kind of (laughs) mean and it takes me a really 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 long time to like actually like trust people build a relationship with people and things like that so um Griffin reached out to me on in, on the Insta medias, that's what I was just about to say. That's not a word. On the, the Insta medias, <laughs> Miriam Webster, we're going to be giving you a call later today. Um, <laughs> so Griffin had reached out about interning, um, and I wasn't necessarily looking for an intern at the time, but the weather was nice. We were training out in public a lot, so I figured, why not? Um, and so I have like this running joke that if things are not absolute chaos the first time that you intern with me or shadow me it's probably not going to work out um and the first day that griffin interned uh, i ran out of gas on the highway so i was like this is probably my sign but also i had two really hard dogs in at the time and um i kind of just handed a leash to griffin and i was like figure it out i really was just testing him i just wanted to see his skill and his ability and i was really 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 surprised and impressed and so this was in like May, maybe early June at the latest. And I, from that point was booked through, I think like December or January. So I wasn't really in the place to hire anyone, but I was also afraid that somebody else would scout him out and hire him. So I kind of made him like pinky promise me that he wouldn't go work for anybody else. <laughs> and so lucky for me, he stuck around. Um, and then I met Anne and kind of the same thing happened with Anne. And so um, the following January, I hired Griffin and Anne, and then, um, what was that? Eight months, maybe seven, eight months. It was the three of us, something like that. Uh, Probably like till September. Did until until another intern or until, until them. Um. Well, I think Angela. I interned the whole time you yeah. were on the team. Yeah. But we, we started working the end of September. End of yeah. September, okay. And Sarah was always around. Yeah. Yeah, I technically didn't intern, but every training outing that y'all did that I was able to go to working yeah. a full-time job, I'd I did. like to add that my first day was with Nala and Roxy, and <laughs> they were in the garage, and they just barked for about 15 minutes at each other. <laughs> and you just were like, no, just let it happen. You're like, we're just going to sit happen. here. They're probably like, who the fuck is this girl? You, This is not how you train dogs. And then they never barked at each other again. And then they were probably like, oh, maybe maybe that I worked. Mean, you knew it. You knew exactly. <laughs> it worked, didn't it? Yeah. I might not do things the traditional way, like 99.9% of the time, but things do usually work. We so that's what matters. So yeah, so it was me, Griffin, and Anne um, until from that January till about September-ish. And then Angela had been interning with me for literally a year. Pretty much everybody that I hired except Sarah interned for a year because I have raging trust issues. Um, And so Angela brought a lot of new stuff to the team. She's a great dog trainer, but aside from that, she's very, very skilled on the business side of things as well. And I really needed that because... Again, trust issues. I don't feel like I could just talk to some random person that I don't know and hire them to do my business management stuff or my office management stuff. So having already had a relationship with her and then finding out like six months into our friendship that she knew all that stuff, that was really, really helpful. And um, 
Angela kind of just is like our, oh, you don't know how to do that. I probably do team member. Swiss army knife, literally. (laughs) And we have a running joke that like Angela struggles to watch me fumble around the world trying to be a person. Great example is I didn't know how to put windshield wiper fluid in my car. And Angela took me to Walmart, bought me windshield wiper fluid, walked out in the parking lot and taught me how to pour it in. Do you remember how to do it? No. I don't know how to do it. Absolutely not. Oh, my God. It's literally just a valve that you open and you pour it in. Yeah. But if I opened that hood of that car, Angela, I would. I think we need to have a team, like, fix your car yeah. day. When was the last time you changed your blinker fluid? Biffin. <laughs> you know what? That would be a cool thing, though, if you could spray people with your blinkers. Turn your fucking blinker on! <laughs> um, but, yeah. So, Angela was a great addition to the team. Um, I was hesitant to hire somebody else because griffin and ann and i did have such a close bond but angela fit in so well that it was an easy adjustment and then i was really concerned i was like there's just no way we're gonna have enough business for four trainers um and then we had business for way more than four and sarah and i had been talking about her leaving grooming and coming to train for a long time um and she grew up in a house where her dad was a canine handler trainer and so she's been around it her whole life and i think hiring sarah and angela everybody like not just my team everybody was super surprised like oh holy shit she's hired two people at the same time um but it's been really the most perfect dynamic and i'm always flattered when people reach out to me and ask if i'm hiring but that's totally not how i do things like i don't think i'm ever gonna like put out an application and people be like here's my application to work for you i think it's always gonna be like a somebody I already have a relationship with, whether it be because they did a year-long internship or whatever, that's probably the only way I'm ever going to be able to hire people because we spend so much time together and, like, we're definitely not the average, just, like, we just work together. I'm not a regular boss. We're also funny as fuck. Yeah, we're fucking hilarious. (laughs) Um... But yeah, we do so much stuff together outside of just work and, like, all of us are very active with our own dogs and, um... You know, we try to do... We also learn so much from each other. Yeah. Like... Yeah. I think it's so very much. unusual to find a, the team dyna- dynamic that we have, for sure. Um, and we all have different opinions. Yeah. Yes, like and we, we still get along. Yeah, like, there, there's... Everybody has their different passions and, you know, different... I mean, not that... We all train very simi- similarly. Right, but, but still... We have, different avenues and some of them overlap and people are like we like watching you guys do bite work stuff you know like everybody's very supportive of a very everybody's very supportive of their like extracurriculars uh-huh. yes we definitely all each have our a lot of different like do. extracurriculars is the best word for it things that we do differently um but we also there's something that each person brings to the table um that really balances everybody out. Like each individual trainer has something completely aside from being a dog trainer that they bring to the table that I think is probably what sets us apart from other trainers. We just have so much diversity (laughs) Mm -hmm. on the team that. And everybody brings in their own kind of people. Yes. Yes. This is very true. We definitely do appeal to a pretty like (laughs) diverse crowd. (laughs) (laughs) For real, though. Yeah, it's true. It is. But, yeah, I mean, I didn't really make a decision to expand the team. Things just fell into place and happened. And 
Um, it's definitely scary adding to the team because, you know, like my biggest fear is I'm not going to have enough business to give everybody enough dogs. And like, this is a really hard job. We work 24 seven, 365. We don't make much money. It's something you do it because you love it. You take your work home with you. Your work lives with you. You can't get away from it. It's a very, very, very hard taxing job. So it was really important to me that when I did hire people, it was worth it um, to them to actually like stay with me and train with me. So when I found the right people, I latched onto them like a I feel like we Tick. all have like a, a leech. Like a leech. <laughs> We're going to burn you yeah. off. Literally. I feel like we all have a good appreciation for each other. Yes, I agree. Even, even when we don't see things necessarily completely the same way, like we're all pretty open-minded to yes. learning and hearing everyone out. And we so. don't cry in a corner over constructive criticism. No. Right. Right. I've met so many people, and that just like in the grooming world, like – constructive criticism was just so like mm-hmm. necessary but you gave it to people and they like lost their ever-loving shit and it's like i'm just trying to help you exactly <laughs> nobody nobody but. on the team has like a raging ego like Mm-mm. i have many times i have looked at people on this team and been like hey what should i do about this or hey does this look right to you like we ask each other for help all the time yeah. and i i sometimes struggle with like being open-minded to new ideas, but it's something that I, I do actively try to do. Um, I think we just all, like, we, I think we all have a very good trust in each other, and we all are very willing to ask each other for help, and that's one great thing about not being by myself anymore. I, when I was, when I was the only trainer, I was like, well, shit, like, who, who do I reach out to? Who do I reach out to for support with this? It's hard being alone. Yeah. And so now with a team of five trainers, I can text in our team group chat and be like, help <laughs> anyone, someone please. And not just like with, you know, training content, but like, for example, an emergency happens and somebody has to drop everything and leave. They can do that. Mm-hmm. People can drop everything and leave and go take care of a hard situation. And there's four other trainers here to back them up and take care of their dogs if they need to. So... Mm-hmm. I quite literally hired my four best friends, and I think that's probably why we get along so well, is that we were friends before I hired them, which <laughs> is, again, why I won't ever just hire somebody randomly. But it, It's definitely an unusual dynamic that you don't typically see in a, in a working situation, Mm-mm. but yeah, with us, I think it just works. I definitely did the, like, I hate every single place I've ever worked at. All my bosses suck. All the people I work with suck. But I grew up in competition dance, which is very, very, very much about being on a team. You know, if one person forgets the dance, your whole dance is fucked up. And so I grew up in a world where being on a team was really, really important. And then as an adult, I had all of these jobs and worked for all of these people and did all of these things where I didn't have that. And I was, I just didn't understand it. So building my dream team was super, super important to me. And, you know, we're going, it's going to be... Next month will be four years I've been in business, Um, and it wasn't until the last two years that I've actually started to, like, hire people and grow my team and build my brand, Um, but that was something that was really important to me, too. I wanted a team of trainers that were committed to my actual brand and committed to, like, you know, my style and, huh? The money. Yeah. Like, I can remember long before Griffin actually worked for me, um... 
just, he was just interning and I walked down to his car and he was like, Hey, look. And he was, um, making a paracord collar and it was diverse canine colors. And that's like, it's the little stuff like that. That's so huge to me. Like really, really simple shit. Like I'm wearing an orange shirt today. Look, cause orange is my company color. So just having people that, you know, are as into my brand as I am is important to me. And just having people that love their job. Cause I love my job and I really don't want to work with people that don't also love their job. Because that's not fun. <laughs> Very sad. <laughs> All right. But I think that's kind of it for that question. That's a, a long-winded one because, like I said, it definitely wasn't something where it's just like, I feel like hiring someone. It's a very, very, very long process. And it's paid off for sure. Okay, I'm recording. All right. Last one we got. Not a question, but a statement. It just says, talk about new girl for a moment. So... I don't really feel that we need to provide background on this. If you're listening to our podcast, you know we love New Girl. Um, And we have a running joke that we won't, like, hire people or have interns or people shadowing or people on our team that don't like New Girl. Because there are days where, sun up to sun down, we communicate solely in New Girl references. Um, Anne and I aren't fun to be around (laughs) because we're so bad. We can't do. We couldn't do a lesson together. No, Anne and I can't do lessons together. We're we're not fun to be around because we just can't stop laughing all the time <laughs> over new girl. Um, so I feel that we should just share a few of our favorite new girl quotes. I mean, you know mine. We've literally been texting it back and forth all weekend. Winston is about to do some puzzling. <laughs> I, did, I did a puzzle over the weekend, and my poor husband. I'm just sitting here humming or singing. I told her to get a puzzle tattoo. That it's like, you need a puzzle piece tattoo. Yeah. Winston is that about to do some puzzling. Yeah. Um, we all know that my personal favorite is Don't Touch Me, I'm a Councilwoman. Um, and I'm going to make it a surprise, but I literally have a patch coming for a collar that says that. I'm well, so who the hell fit that on a patch? Um, Amazon. I was literally, <laughs> I was literally opening my mouth to say I've tried canine tactical gear, angry milling gear, and none of them fit it. I don't know how well it's gonna work out, but if it works out, I don't care. It says it. That's yes. what matters. I thought about shaving it into Kazi. <laughs> <laughs> don't touch me. I'm a councilwoman. Don't touch me. Gave me cookie. Got you cookies. Gave me cookie. Got you cookies. Um, and just one more going on my fawn spiel. Um. I think, like, one of the first New Girl quotes that, like, isn't, like, outwardly supposed to be super funny, but I thought it was super funny, and then everybody realized how funny it was, was just a little visor humor. <laughs> um, and Anne literally made me a Chica Go Bulls visor, so. <laughs> I drew the I drew the bowl, and it looks good. It was fucking spot on. I'll show you. Have you seen it? Just a little visor so. humor. It's actually really Hey, man, where's the top of your hat? <laughs> <laughs> Just a little visor humor. Have you guys seen, I recently saw somewhere that apparently in New Girl, in every single episode, there is some type of concept of a bear. (laughs) Whether they say bear or there's a bear in a picture. Oh my god. Apparently, yes. for the next two weeks. Literally. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, in every single, it's like an Easter egg that they have. It is unfortunate how much I've actually like bear claw. Um, it is not something I share with most people. Um, and I'm Happy now birthday, Jess. Bear claw. Oh, bear Happy claw. birthday. When will the lies end? I'm very much related to Winston. I don't usually know what's going on. Katie? I'm just for the ride. Jess. Are you Katie? <laughs> Selena Gomez. That's an odd choice. I think the only person I would relate to on there is Reagan. 
because <laughs> it's Megan Fox, and we both have the same thumbs. She does have yeah. toe thumbs. Uh, yeah, show, your thumbs. Do have- show her your show him your toe thumb. I mean, it's your toe. That is a toe thumb. <laughs> oh my gosh! Actually, I I do if see that. If anybody messages me on and Instagram, she loves and asks- a rain shower. <laughs> <laughs> I don't send out toe thumb pictures for free. <laughs> you have to pay for those. Those cost extra. Schmidt, what's your favorite thing about India? Uh, uh, Taj Mahal. <laughs> Anyone named Patel. Anyone named Patel. Schmidt, take a lap. Chutney. <laughs> Mango chutney. Also, all the chutneys. Sushi is like a like consistent like staple in our lives. Yeah, yeah. and a then team fave. You know, literally about to go eat sushi for lunch after this. They, yes, we uh, are. Mm-hmm. They consistently talk about sushi. <laughs> What a whistle. Schmidt, why do you have eighty dollars worth of sushi? <laughs> I got the means player. I got the means player. Oh, also, one of my favorite things about New Girl is if you're watching it, there are times where they are actively trying not to laugh. Yep. Like when he says, What a whistle wants an avocado oil, he's like literally <laughs> trying not to laugh. And then do you remember Do you steal what- my conditioner, man? I can smell it. Mother's very relaxed. Mother's very relaxed. <laughs> oh, also, this is uh, this has been a recent um, uh, decision, but at some point, Griffin and I might—we probably have to now—are going to have a livestock a livestock guardian dog, and his name will be Outside Dave. <laughs> and then I think at some point we should have a dog named Evil Winston. <laughs> When people ask me if I'm religious, I'm going to say, yes, I worship Outside Dave. And so I, outside Dave, I specific from the, ah! hello. <laughs> okay, we're going to, strange people walk into my home, so we're going to end our podcast there. <laughs> oh, I really need to put a lock on my door. 